0: Section 6, Eschatology, Cosmology, and Feminist Theology, Slattery, Metrano, and Noddings. This fuller quality of ontological knowledge requires that we have available a range of living metaphors within culture, not only the machine metaphor that dominates the modern paradigm, but also the metaphors of organic life and transcendent dance. End quote. An eschatological curriculum. Traditionally, theology has turned to the study of final or apocalyptic events eschatology, to attempt to explain phenomena of destruction, decadence, and death. Faced with sin and irredeemable evil in the physical world, theologians turned to the idea of a heaven as justifying suffering in this life. Marxist analysis attacked this theology for perpetuating injustice and tolerating oppression. Justice delayed was justice denied. John Dewey also challenged traditional theology. He distinguished between religion and the religious in a common faith and he criticized the churches for having abandoned their prophetic voice. In fact, in a 1908 piece entitled Religions and Our Schools, Dewey called for a moratorium on religious instruction until a narrow supernaturalism was abandoned. See Westbrook, 1991. The concept of the future and utopian visions is at the heart of these critiques of traditional eschatology. Recent developments in eschatology have been employed by Patrick Slattery to rethink the idea of curriculum as theological text and address the concerns of Dewey and critical theorists. Slattery reports that contemporary eschatology rejects the traditional bifurcation of time and space into here and hereafter and reconceives the future as the directive property of the present. Quote, the future enters into the present as a persuasive and directive force, encouraging individuals to overcome evil. This framework allows proleptic eschatology to provide hope and liberation in the midst of evil in the world. End quote. In his Toward an Eschatological Curriculum Theory, Slattery posits important parallels between contemporary theology and curriculum theory. In both fields, he finds themes of transformation, emancipation, relatedness, and temporality. The modernistic conception of the isolated individual, captured in measurable time and space, unable to establish authentic relationships of intimacy and care, unable to affect the future, has given way to psychoanalytic and postmodern. Views of the past as present. Slattery outlines a postmodern vision in which the individual person, in relation to others and connected to a meaningful past and to an emerging future is essential for social transformation and global survival a vision of liberation and hope out of this framework for eschatological theology slattery identifies parallels with the themes of the reconceptualization of curriculum studies slattery concludes that the emphasis in contemporary theology on processes of transformation emancipation liberation relatedness and time Offers significant support to certain strands of contemporary and reconceptualized curriculum studies. In both fields, the view of past experience as an integral part of present reality represents a shift away from the presentism of a modernist perspective. The latter isolates the individual in quantifiable time and space, unable to establish relationships and incapable of affecting the future course of events. In contrast, a postmodern vision regards the individual in relation to others, connected to a meaningful past and an emergent future. Capable of influencing not only individual transformation, but social change and global survival as well. Slattery's eschatological curriculum theory challenges curricularists to move well beyond the Tylerian understanding of curriculum as the development of institutional programs, and beyond the traditional apocalyptic understanding of eschatology as only the last events at the end of time. He challenges the field to move toward a new vision of curriculum rooted in liberation and eschatological hope. Process Philosophy. The eschatological dimension is also evident in the work of those scholars who approach the study of curriculum from the process philosophy associated with the contributions of Alfred North Whitehead, Charles Hartshorn, and Henry Bergson. A national organization, the Association of Process Philosophy of Education, APPE, meets biannually to investigate process issues and the curriculum. Additionally, the journal Process Studies is published by the Center for Process Studies at the School of Theology at the Claremont Colleges in Southern California. As do eschatological studies, process philosophy of education investigates a notion of time that is durational, proleptic, and cosmological. Durational time is essential to process perspectives that seek to reintegrate a fragmented curriculum and become transformative. Whitehead wrote about the importance of reverence in understanding the aims of education, and he concluded that, quote, The foundation of reverence is this perception, that the present holds within itself the complete sum of existence, backwards and forwards, that whole amplitude of time, which is eternity, quote. Wrestling with the concepts of time and eternity is a central task of process philosophy and theology. Premodern theology promoted a futuristic eschatology which reserved salvation to life after death. This theology of delayed perusa was of particular concern to John Dewey. Dewey believed that this notion of the future caused churches to lose their prophetic calling for society. The response of modernity to the perusa has been the rejection of religion and spirituality in favor of a realized eschatology, which locates all hope in present experience disconnected from any meaningful past or imminent future. Marxist philosophy and critical theory correctly recognize the economic and social abuses that can result from adherence to a premodern eschatology, but too often Marxist traditions have rejected any theological perspective at all. Ernst Bloch attempted to reconcile Marxism and eschatology, and contemporary curriculum theorists explore hope from multiple perspectives. However, it is prolyptic eschatology and process philosophy, particularly as expressed in the theology of Jurgen Moltmann and Karl Peter, the philosophy of Alfred North Whitehead, Charles Hartshorn, Ernst Bloch, John Dewey, Henry Bergson, and Eric Fromm, and the curriculum theory of James B. MacDonald, Duane E. Hubner, and Patrick Sidery, that expose the futility of futuristic and realized eschatologies. Process philosophy and eschatology both recognize the integral relationship between the past, present, and future and also the impossibility of hope without a future that is related to the present. Whitehead commented, quote, The doctrine of the imminence of past occasions in the occasions which are the future, relative to them, has been sufficiently discussed. The past has an objective existence in the present which lies in the future beyond itself. But the sense in which the future can be said to be imminent in occasions antecedent to itself, and the sense in which contemporary occasions are imminent in each other, are not so evident in terms of the doctrine of the subject-object structure of experience. It will be simpler first to concentrate upon the relation of the future, the present. End quote. Whitehead continued by explaining that the future exists in relation to the present, a concept apparently lost in mass culture in contemporary society. It is especially evident at graduations when students are told that they are the future of the world. The delayed perusa of theology became a dominant metaphor for education, career choices, and democratic living. This is clearly a major factor in the fragmentation which is so firmly embedded in mainstream academic psychology. Whitehead warned, quote, Cut away the future, and the present collapses, emptied of its proper content. Immediate existence requires the insertion of the future in the crannies of the present, End quote. In his The Minimal Self, Psychic Survival in Troubled Times, Christopher Lash makes a similar point working from a different tradition. In what sense is the future embedded in the present? Whitehead explained that the future is imminent in the present by reason of the fact that the present bears in its own essence the relationships which it will express in the future. The present, quote, thereby includes in its essence the necessities to which the future must conform. The future is there in the present as a general fact belonging to the nature of things, end quote. As we are seeing, the theological dimension of the nature of things is of profound significance in understanding curriculum. Feminist Theology and Curriculum Writing in 1979, Barbara Metrano contended that feminist theologians and curriculum theorists have much in common. Both are interested in lived experience and social transformation, concepts which ought not to be denuded of spiritual content. Metrano explained, quote, Another part of the reason I believe the feminist voice needs to be made clearer in curriculum theory lies in the insight which it can bring to the areas of spirituality and community. The feminist example has shown that contact with self is indeed a spiritual educational experience which leads to community and social action. Feminist experience in women's studies courses has yielded new insight into a mutual concern of feminists and reconceptualists that the content of courses be congruent with the lived experience of those who constitute the meaning of that experience. Since women have for so long been silent because of their disembodiment from their selves, their understanding of fragmentation and madness goes very deep, end quote. calls for links between feminist theology and curriculum theory is evident in the work of, among others, Mary Daly, and Denise Lardner-Carmody, who calls for an alliance among feminism, religion, and education. Additionally, Mary Elizabeth Moore has included a feminist perspective in her The Art of Teaching from the Heart, The Heart of the Matter, in which she calls for a process-oriented approach to teaching rooted in reverent relationships. Nell Noddings' important scholarship, see also chapters 7 and 13, also speaks to feminist theological concerns. In Caring, a Feminine Approach to Ethics and Moral Education, Nottings proposed an ethics based on caring grounded in receptivity, relatedness, and responsiveness. Nottings' approach differs from traditional rationalistic ethics. It differs as well from those traditional theological conceptions of human nature that begin in sinfulness and depravity. Nottings' ethic of caring in this sense parallels Matthew Fox's creation spirituality discussed earlier. Noddings argues that moral education should begin with care for other human persons, rather than with the rationality, a view other feminist theologians share. However, Noddings cautions that her educational philosophy is feminist only in the sense that all of humanity can participate in the feminine ethic she develops. Quote, As in development of the ethic self, I shall refrain from the use of jargon often associated with moral education. I shall not discuss stages of moral development, and I shall not dwell on moral reasoning. Is my view then effectivist? I shall reject that label, although both the ethic and the resulting recommendations for moral education rest on a foundation of effective relation. I reject the label because such labels are often affixed simplistically, and the notion arises that one who insists on recognizing the effective base of morality must, therefore, minimize the role of cognitive activity. One cannot dismiss thinking and reasoning from ethical conduct, and I have made no attempt to do this. It is a matter of emphasis and of origin. When I have recognized the effective I must, I must think effectively about what I should do in response to the other. I do not respond out of blind sentiment, but I put my best thinking at the service of the ethical affect. If I exclude cognition, I fall into vapid and pathetic sentimentality. If I exclude affect, or recognize it only as an accompaniment of sorts, I risk falling into self-serving or unfeeling rationalization. I shall accept the label feminine, but only if we understand that all of humanity can participate in the feminine as I am describing it. End quote. In a more recent work entitled Women and Evil, Nottings investigates traditional theological and psychological understandings of the relationship between women and evil. Rooted in women's experience, Nottings describes her project, through the use of examples, I attempt to draw out the logic of situations in which we face evil and to probe for the underlying commonalities in our experience with evil. What we will find is a pervasive fear of pain, separation, and helplessness, end quote. insists that evil must be examined phenomenologically rather than through the lens of traditional moralistic pronouncements, which often branded women as evil or especially susceptible to evil. Ironically, women have also been exalted as possessing maternal goodness, often framed as a Madonna or goddess. Noddings explains, quote, The paradox is resolved when we realize that the dichotomous view of women as evil because of her attraction to matters of the flesh and good because of her compassion and nurturing served as a means of control, end quote. Women perceive themselves as good when they live the lives of obedience and service, a psychology that made women especially vulnerable to patriarchal education. Noddings addresses the central theological problem in her opening chapter when she poses the dilemma of theodicy. If God could have prevented evil and did not, then God is malevolent. If God would have prevented evil but could not, then God is impotent. If God could not and would not, then why God? Other contemporary theologians have wrestled with this question, and like Noddings have explored this dilemma by challenging traditional Aristotelian, Augustinian, and Thomistic views of deity. Notable are Rosemary Radford-Reuther in her Sexism and God Talk, Toward a Feminist Theology, David Ray Griffin in God, Power, and Evil, and S. Paul Schilling in God and Human Anguish. As Patrick Slattery in Toward an Eschatological Curriculum Theory acknowledged, quote, if a new way of living for a decent human survival is to be developed, if an emancipatory view of education is to be accepted, and if postmodern view of curriculum are to be understood and assimilated, then the issue of evil and human suffering must be addressed. End quote. A new theodicy, which views evil in the context of God's bounded power and unbounded love, is evident in the writings of contemporary theorists working to understand curriculum as theological text. Additionally, Noddings, like other scholars, proposes that this new theodicy is supported by a feminine perspective on evil, which had been suppressed by traditional theology for centuries. Noddings concludes, quote, education has, at least in modern times, been guided by optimism and notions of progress, notions that are, I think, peculiarly masculine. Perhaps we should now consider an education guided by a tragic sense of life, a view that cannot claim to overcome evil any more than we can overcome dust, but claims only to live sensitively with as little of it as possible. Even as I write this, I realize that the expression tragic sense of life will not quite work, it has been used to describe experience that is essentially male, and it points to the male hero who strives courageously with or against a deity, a god good or evil, but often aloof or absent. The sense of sadness is right, but the response is wrong. It includes the notion Ricoeur endorsed, quote, man enters into the ethical world through fear and not through love, end quote. We cannot deny that fear inspires some ethical thinking, but so does love. The desire to be like a loving parent is a powerful impetus toward ethical life and so is the desire to remain in loving relation. A woman's view has to find new language, or at least to modify language as it seeks expression. It should not be articulated as mere opposition, but rather as a positive program for human living. From this perspective, in agreement with those who adopt a tragic sense of life, life is at bottom sad. All the more reason for us to give and take what joy we can from each other. Notting's assertion of the presence of love and joy in a tragic world is a powerful statement of feminist theory which extends substantially our understanding of curriculum as theological text. Curriculum and Cosmology Contemporary cosmology is regarded as having three elements. One, science, the story of origins, revealed via myths and scientific data. Two, mysticism, responses of amazement and awe to the cosmos. And three, art, expressions of our responses to the cosmos, which inform and transform our cultural institutions, including education and religion. Traditional scientific cosmology understood the universe as a random collection of particles acted on by blind forces. Ilya Prigogine characterized this conventional cosmology as a system in which God is reduced to mere archivist, turning the pages of a cosmic history book already written by mechanical forces. Contemporary cosmology bestows upon human beings' dignity, a dignity lacking were the universe an incidental accident in the cosmos. In work we mentioned earlier in a discussion of the moral basis of process education, David W. Oliver and Kathleen Waldron proposed contemporary cosmology as a basis for curriculum. They wrote that a comparative cosmological curriculum is inextricably linked to deep images and metaphors, which not only influence how we describe the world, but even what we actually apprehend, perceive, and bring to conscious expression. Oliver and Greshman explained Technical knowing refers to adaptive, publicly transferable information, or skills. Ontological knowing refers to a more diffuse apprehension of reality in the nature of liturgical or artistic engagement. In this latter case, we come to know with our whole body as it participates in the creation of significant new occasions, occasions which move from imagination and intention to critical self-definition and to satisfaction, and finally to perishing and new being. This fuller quality of ontological knowledge requires that we have available a range of living metaphors within culture, not only the machine metaphor that dominates the modern paradigm, but also the metaphors of organic life and transcendent dance. End quote. In this view, teaching becomes a kind of dance in which participants, teachers, and students, knowledge, curriculum, and movement, setting, come together in a common transcendent occasion. The Ecozoic Age. Angela Leiden, a professor at Xavier University in New Orleans, is another curriculum theorist working in the area of cosmology. In her study, Cosmology and Curriculum A Vision for an Ecozoic Age, Leiden linked cosmology and curriculum, emphasizing ecology and mythopoetic imagination. The latter concept, associated with the work of James B. MacDonald and Nielsen Hagerson, Leiden employed the notion of an ecozoic age, which she defined as an emerging geological period during which the general relationship between humanity and the earth will be harmonious. Ecologically and educationally, Leiden believes that the earth is evolving toward a period of creativity, beyond contemporary expressions of dominance, survival, and struggle. Leiden's work is influenced by the work of Thomas Berry, noted historian of culture. Like Barry, she proposes an integrative moment of theory, insight, and praxis, creative action, which is contextualized within a vision of human earth relationality. An interesting feature of Leiden's work is the analysis of original artwork by students in early childhood education classes. The students studied by Leiden responded to cosmological poetry and stories read aloud by the teacher as part of their language arts curriculum. The artistic creations composed by the students revealed intuitive understanding of the ecozoic cosmology proposed by Leiden.